Good Sunday to be together, and we're also capping off our Heaven on Earth series where we've been looking at the gifts that Jesus has brought from heaven down to earth. We are looking at the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is about to ascend to heaven, but before he does so, he calls these gifts out and he gives them to us to use. And so again, today we will look at the last one. Let's recap though, see where we've been, and then we'll hit this last gift. Last chapter of Luke 24, starting in verse 36, is they, they are the disciples, were talking about these things. Jesus himself stood among them. Jesus showed up for the first time, resurrected body in front of the disciples, and he said, peace to you. So we looked at that was the first gift that God brought from heaven to earth, this Peace. He, he didn't come to condemn. He didn't come to bring guilt. He came to bring peace on earth. And I have peace when I know that I'm a child of God, that that is my identity, not in what I do, but in who he says that I am and that he has totally forgiven me and that we were created on purpose and for a purpose. If we meditate on those truths, we will have Peace. That was the first week. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. The second gift that Jesus gave to us is the gift of healing. See, Jesus didn't only defeat the grave, but he also proved to them, I've been healed. I'm resurrected from the dead and I have the scars to prove it. See, God gives us healing this side of heaven or the next. It's a promise. We will be healed when we are in Christ. And when he does not heal, what do we have? We have scars. We have scars that we get to show others so that we can walk beside those that are also hurting and troubled. The second gift, touch me and see me. He's convincing them. I'm not a spirit. I'm fleshly human being for spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of boiled fish and he took it and he ate before them. So to prove that he was in the physical form, a, a body, not just a spirit, he literally ate uh, but I also believe that this is another gift that God brought from heaven to earth, and it's the gift of provision. We talked about the episode where Jesus used his disciples to multiply bread and fish to feed the multitude because God is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. God is enough. He's given us everything that we need. Not only that, he wants to use us as stewards. What he's given us, he wants us to use and give back to him so that others have what they need as well. Last week, we looked at this. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me and the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so that they can understand the scriptures. The next gift is the word. We looked at that last week that we are not only uh, to read it, to live it, to study it, and, and to share it, but that when we do all of those things, we understand it because it all talks about Jesus. So we filter everything that we read from Genesis to Revelation through the gospel, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. What a gift this is. Am I right? Anybody with me for this 
beautiful gift that we are reading. And then he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. That's this gospel, this message of salvation for the whole world that is starting right here in this place in context in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. We're going to look at the gift here, but we're going to finish reading. Let's go to the next verse. This is the last verses of the gospel of Luke, and then we'll go back and talk about the gift in the prior verses. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. The end of the gospel of Luke. What is this final gift? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at the prior verse. Last gift that Jesus brought from heaven to earth is you and me. We are witnesses. You, Jesus said, I'm going to use you to be my witnesses here on earth. I'm going to ascend to heaven. And, and my Holy Spirit is going to descend and enter into your hearts and empower you to go out as you are my witnesses, starting in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, into the ends of the earth. My friends, the last gift that God brought from heaven to earth is you and me. Whoa, isn't that both awesome and challenging? that God has gifted the earth, his people, those that have trusted in his name to be a part of his plan of restoring and redeeming all of humanity until Jesus comes back a second time and truly brings heaven to earth. You and I are gifts. Someone needs to hear that this morning, that you're a gift of God to this world, that God wants to use you for his perfect and holy purposes. That's what we're going to talk about this morning, this word witness. We actually talked at the beginning of this series about this word. This word in the Greek means martyr. And a martyr is someone that not only sees something, they not only believe and are convinced of it, but they are also willing to die for that cause. And God is calling you and I to go from just spectators, someone that just sees, maybe reads, is seeking out God, to martyrs, those that are willing to die for the cause of Christ. And we do that in response because he sacrificed his life for us. So that's what we're going to look at. Being witnesses, how to be witnesses. We're not alone in that. God gave us this gift that he promised the Holy Spirit. So this is the end of Luke. Luke wrote a second book called the book of Acts, where the 
the, the apostles, the disciples are empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out in, in the devotionals this week. If you haven't already signed up for them, I encourage you to do so. Do that on the website or on the guide, ccc.guide, which is a website, and, and click on the devotionals. And, and this week, we're going to be looking through the devotionals to how God used the disciples and acts to, to be the hope of the world. Uh, and that's the reason why we're sitting here this morning. The Holy Spirit is three things. The first is he is our comforter. The Holy Spirit descended into our hearts to be with us, to accompany us through the highs and through the lows. Whenever we're at our lowest, whenever we feel like no one is watching students, when we're in hallways and we sense the peer pressure and we feel like we're in a crowd, but at the very same time, we feel alone. When we are in Christ, we know that the Holy Spirit, that God himself is with us. The Holy Spirit is also our comforter. He's God in us. He of all the things that God has written here in this book. He is our advocate. He is for us. He is teaching us how to navigate life. And he's also convicting us. He's reminding us of his goodness when we choose to go our own way. It's his kindness, the Bible says, that leads us to repentance. Some of us think that's guilt. Well, guilt enters in when we don't say yes to the Holy Spirit. Guilt enters in when, when we go too far gone and then we feel that, man, I should have, would have, could have. Man, we're missing out. God, in his kindness, is asking us, hey, don't feel that. Just come back to me. That's the Holy Spirit of God. He is our counselor, best counselor. And then lastly, he's our commissioner. He compels us to go. Not only is God with us, not only is he in us, but he wants to work through us. And that's what we're going to focus in on this morning. The Holy Spirit wants to use us to reach others, to be witnesses, to be examples of what it looks like to be truly human according to what God planned here on earth. Witness may mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. You may be thinking, Jose, I'm not even following Jesus. I'm just checking out what it means to be a Christian. Well, I want to tell you that I'm so happy that you are here, and I'm so excited that you are seeking out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I hope you hear something this morning that captures the heart of God for you, and I hope you receive an invitation. Whenever you choose, we all have the choice to say yes to Jesus, to, to near, uh, maybe come near to the God who has already come close to us. And then for others, you're like, well, I don't want to be that guy on the side of the street that is standing on a box with a megaphone screaming, the kingdom of God is here. Repent, therefore, you know, and in and, and, and damnation and these things that are like superior, making people feel inferior and, and far away from God. I got good news and bad news. The bad news first, always. Bad news is we're going to be challenged this morning. We're going to be reading from Jesus's very Words, but I have good news for you this morning. And that is that in this room, we are full of powerful witnesses that God can use to change this city and ultimately the world. When we look around at the problems out there, 
It's easy to think that the solutions are in, are, are in the hands of the experts, that the solutions are in the hands of politicians. Well, maybe some of us don't believe that. You know, the more we, we, we rely, I don't think it's there. Or, or that the solution is there with the people with a lot of money and influence. Let me tell you something. The solution is Jesus. And the vehicle is in this room because the local church activated is the hope of the world. It's right in here. He wants to use you and me as his witnesses to change the world. Isn't that good news this morning? All right. So we're going to look at this uh, uh, episode in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to look at the first time that God delegates authority, that Jesus in his ministry delegates authority, empowers his disciples to be witnesses. It's not the last time, but it's the first time. And this is going to be our manifesto on, on how to be witnesses of Jesus in our world. And then uh, we'll close with some verses in Romans. But before we go any further, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this gathering. I thank you for these promises that are written in your word. And I thank you, Lord, for all that are in this room. I pray your blessing over every family, God, over every circumstance. I pray that anything that you want to teach us, Lord, that, that we would have ears to hear, that we would leave here empowered and edified to go out there and be witnesses. We thank you, Jesus, for that amazing reality that you choose to use us. Pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So we're going to start in Matthew 9. We're going to go through Matthew 10. We're going to read many verses, and we're going to come up with four ways on how, how to witness here on earth. In context, Jesus is in the middle of his ministry. Jesus is literally at like his peak. He's, he's doing it. And so it's a, an interesting turn of events that Jesus chooses to empower his disciples, be his hands and feet. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. This is typical Jesus stuff. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he's doing this all throughout. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So two quick things here. Jesus is saying that there's a lot of people who are in trouble. There's a lot of distress out there. And this happened 2,000 years ago, okay? And it's still happening today. Our world is filled with trouble. Our world is filled with distress and chaos. And Jesus sees it all. And instead of pointing the finger and saying, you deserve it. These are the consequences of your own actions. Or you fell short according to my glorious and perfect standard. What does he say? He has compassion. And my friends, that is the first key on how to be witnesses. We need to take off judgment. And we need to put on the compassion that Jesus had when he saw you and me when we were in dire need. And if you call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, then there, there was a moment in your life when you realized that you couldn't do it on your own, that you needed 
salvation, that you needed forgiveness that came from outside of your strength. That is the gospel, and that is the first key to witness. A couple questions for us. When we see the distress, when we see this trouble out there, are we filled with cynicism? Are, 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 we, feel, are we filled with hopelessness? Or are we filled with the compassion of Jesus and the hope that something can change, that he and he alone is the answer. Another question is, what am I proclaiming in my life? What am I witnessing? We're all witnessing something. We're all giving off some attitude as we walk in our lives. Is it compassion or is it judgment? Jesus had compassion. And he's saying, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So this is the second thing that we're seeing, that Jesus saw that it was so much, and he could have continued in his ministry, and he could, he could have gathered all those people and filled stadiums and healed everybody on his own. He, was, he is God. He could have done that, but instead he's saying, no, I, I want workers to go out into the harvest. And it's cool. And in, in our Bibles, our chapters are broken up the way they are uh, for, for organizational purposes and, and for us to, to know, uh, you know where things are. But that came way after the original manuscripts. And so I like how this ties through chapter break in 9 and 10, because in 10.1, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So Jesus, filled with compassion, gathered those that he had near, and he empowered them. Now, I want to go through some of the 12 because they're quite a crew. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who was called Peter. Now, Peter, later on, goes on to deny Jesus three times. So you think that Jesus could have called maybe a more qualified person to lead the bunch. And his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, these four were fishermen. They had successful businesses out on the coast of Sea of Galilee, and they literally left. They dropped their nets. They left everything to follow Jesus, the first four. The next four, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. It's important that he adds the detail, tax collector. Uh, here's what that means. Nobody liked him. He, he's like, if you're driving around in San Marcos and you see the parking guy around the Texas State campus, college students, you know what I'm talking about. You know, nobody likes the parking guy. Now, if you are a parking guy, uh, God's teaching me compassion. So I want to meet you and, and I want to get to know you because I know God has a plan for you and, and, and I'm sure you have a wonderful story. So let's uh, come meet and maybe we can have coffee. But, you know, nobody likes that guy. Nobody likes the IRS you know, the, the letter that you, that's always signed by someone. I mean, poor people. That's not fun. Matthew was not liked. He worked uh, partly for the Romans. So for the occupying people uh, that were there in the nation of Israel at the time. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, important detail. Zealot. He was a zealous revolutionary. He was about the most proud Israelite that you could find. He wanted to overthrow 
Roman rule in that time from Israel. Can you imagine a conversation between Simon and Matthew? They probably weren't BFFs, you know? They weren't breaking bread all the time. I mean, this was a bunch. Uh, uh, this was a, a funky bunch. And last and not, not least, Judas Iscariot, the very one who betrays Jesus. What's my point? Is that sometimes we don't want to witness, we don't want to share we, we, our, 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 our um, issue from going from spectator, from just someone that knows God to, to a martyr, someone that's willing to lay down their life and to have a conversation with anyone about Jesus, is, is that we don't think that we're qualified. Well, I got some good news, neither were these guys. And so we can take the pressure off. We can take the pressure off because God uses imperfect People for his perfect purposes. God used these 12 who were closest to him, empowered them and said, I'm going to use you to bring hope to the entire world. So we can take the pressure off. It's not up to us. God wants to use. He wants to work through us. It's beautiful. It's a mystery. It's challenging and humbling all at the same time. So, a couple of questions. What keeps me from proclaiming Jesus? Maybe it is because we uh, uh, have this sinful past and we think, I've made a mistake. Uh, she has done much better. She should be the one talking to Jesus to my family. Or she should be the one talking to Jesus in my workplace. Or he's been walking with the Lord for a long time. His track record is better. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, JD, when we were praying over here before our Sunday morning gathering, um, said this one thing that stuck with me, and it's beautiful. He said, and you pray this, he said, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. So the calling comes before the equipping, i.e., check out, uh, let's go a couple of verses back when we, there we go one more before he called his 12 disciples. Look at the next time that he talks about him. He doesn't say disciples. He says apostles. They go from disciples to apostles in a couple of lines. What's in between? It's the mission. It's the mission from God. When we have been sent by God, when we've been empowered by God, our title changes from spectator to witness, from disciple, which is just someone that is learning and following Jesus to apostle, which literally means sent one. Now, these 12 are special. They're the 12 apostles who will see the resurrection of Jesus and then will literally bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. But it's also true of you and I that we are disciples. And when we've been empowered, we are called to be sent with this message to ends of the earth. And sometimes we don't go because we don't know what to say. Well, cool thing is that we all have a story. We have a story of how God rescued us. We have a story of how God redeemed us. Maybe he restored something in our lives. He's forgiven us and we get to share that with others. Our stories are unique on purpose because I can speak to stories that others can't. You can speak to stories that I can't. We all need one another. Witnesses. He doesn't use perfect. He uses 
imperfect. Let's keep reading. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. So two things here. One is that this is really important uh, according to the biblical narrative of the Bible. So God, in Genesis chapter 12, chose this man, Abraham, and he said, hey, I'm going to bless the whole world through you and your family. From Abraham, we get the family of Israel, the, the nation of Israel, these 12 brothers. Uh, uh, there's a tie there with 12 tribes of Israel to 12 apostles that are going to be used by God to continue God's storyline. In Romans, it says that God came first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, the non-Jew. And all that means is that Jesus, God in his uh, story, revealed his covenant promises to the Israelites. So in this case, he's telling them, hey, go to those that are right around you. And then later, Matthew 28, we get the great commission to make disciples of all nations. And we see in the book of Acts that the word goes to the Gentiles and beyond. And here's the point. We need to go where we are. Sometimes we think in order to be a witness, in order to be a missionary, we got to go all the way overseas to do so. When really, all we have to do is cross the street because God has put people in our neighborhoods. God has put people in our workplaces. God has put you in your family for a reason, and that is to bring hope as we witness what Jesus has done in our lives. We get to go to those that are right around us. So who has God put around you? Maybe it's one person that, that you immediately know in your mind already. You're like, yeah, it's that person. I need to take that person out. I need to text that person today just to check in. Who has God put around me? Because if we focus on those that are far away, it's like when we post something on social media. Uh, a multitude people see it, but very few truly experience it in life. We really are only doing life with those that are close by. That's why we have community groups, so that we can do life with one another. This Sunday gathering is awesome. The Sunday morning gathering is large. It's hard to know one another. When we break down group size, we have further depth, and we're able to be in relationship with one another. And here's the next um, point. We are to go with confidence because we, are, we have been equipped with heaven. These next verses, Jesus is equipping his disciples to go out. I'm going to read um, through the remainder of chapter 10, starting in verse 7. Jesus says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. This is a recap of these gifts. We've been equipped with the gifts of heaven. This is the word. The word is a gift from God that all points to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We are to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse those who have leprosy, to drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. This is the gift of healing. God says, hey, you've been equipped with the gift of healing. When you see someone that, that needs healing, go ahead, lay hands on and pray. Trust God to heal. If he does, hallelujah. If he doesn't, hold on to the promise that they will be healed uh, in heaven. Verse 9, do not get any gold or silver or 
or copper to take with you in your belts, no bag for the journey, or extra shirt or sandals or staff, for the worker is worth his keep. This is the gift of provision. Do not take anything with you because God will provide everything that you need on the journey. One of the biggest impediments, I believe, for us is we don't have time. Or we're too busy working. We're too busy providing and making ends meet in our own family lives that, that we say, well, I, I don't have time to grab coffee or, or to reach out or to meet that need that is happening here. This reminds us that we just need to go do it and trust that God's going to provide. That this work is way more important than our actual vocational work. Sometimes it is in the workplace when we get to witness and we get to uh, show up to somebody. But it is worth leaving your workplace and be to be a witness to someone close by because we can trust that God will provide everything that we Need Verse 11, whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. We talked about this gift, the gift of peace, that when we go to someone, we come in peace, just as Jesus said, peace to you. We don't come with a lot of pressure. We don't come with, with expectation, but we do come with an agenda, and it's the free gift of grace. We say, hey, Jesus has freely given me everlasting life. I just want to tell you about it. I want to share my story with you. And then we leave the results up to God, and we stay the course. This isn't just a knock on the door. Hey, do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? And when they say, and then we say, well, checked it off, been a witness for the day. No. No, we stay the course. We do relationship long-term with people. I am so glad that God didn't give up on me because I grew up and went to church growing up and heard the gospel. I had Christians in my life. At, at age 13, I, I went from a, a Catholic uh, experience to a Protestant experience at a Christian school where I had incredible people pour into me, teach me about what this means, and, and take a lot of time. I wasted a lot of people's time, so I thought not a second though was wasted. I don't know how they feel now. If you're hearing this, it wasn't wasted, and, and, and they poured into me, and I just shut the door and shut the door and shut the door until I was at a point in my life at age 18 when I became a, a freshman at Texas State University where I've had enough. I tasted and seen that what this earth had to give did not satisfy. And God was working like crazy in my heart. And I was desperate for something that would truly give me life. And that is when I was invited to a community group, part of this church. And ever since that day, I've been a work in progress. And people have been patient with me. And I'm so grateful that God didn't give up. See, some plants in others water, but it's God that makes things grow. And sometimes we get disillusioned because we don't see the result. Let us not grow weary in doing good, my friends, because at God's timing, we will see a harvest. We will see fruit. It's not up to us. So we can just let the, leave the results to God and leave 
peace. And then it also says, when someone doesn't welcome you or listen to your words, leave that town, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Uh, check this out. It's about to get real with Jesus. As you enter the home, uh, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust of your feet. Verse 15, truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. There you go. What does that mean? It means that God is the judge, not you or I. So let's just leave it to God. Make sure that it is your peace that resides. If it's a door closed, stay in relationship and maybe have a conversation with someone else. It takes time. How you doing? You, you good with this witness thing? Or are you about ready to be empowered? Because this is the deal. It's not easy. This is not easy. If it was easy, then our world would look a little differently. But the reality is that we let the things out there distort what God's given to his church in here and, and has kept us from being compelled to be witnesses to our surroundings. Here's what Jesus says is going to take place as we go. Verse 16, he says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. So he's actually in context, turning this from a local, from the sheep of Israel. And he's now foreshadowing what it's going to be like in Acts when the Gentiles will hear from his uh from his people. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. What this means is that we need to move with authentic tack. We need to be innocent as doves. We need to be authentic. We need to be ourselves. Just be you. God created your personality and everything that you are on purpose. He wants to use those things. Just be pure in your motive. Hey, I want you to know Jesus because I truly believe that he is the best for you. That is an agenda. It's okay to have that agenda, okay? Uh, but, but then we can be shrewd as snakes. We can be filled with tact because, verse 17, we need to be on our guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. We need to anticipate suffering on my account. You will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, when, not if, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit, your Father, is speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father, his child, children will rebel against their parents and have them to, uh, put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Not easy, difficult, even lonely. He's speaking against people in our very own family that we will be rejected. That when we are truly ready to stand up, be a martyr, be willing to give our life to the cause of Christ, we will endure these types of trials. But why do we go? It's a mystery that God chose a group of imperfect people for his perfect purposes. In Romans chapter 10, this, this notion challenges the thought of, well, I'm just going to live. I'm going I'm to uh, uh, preach the gospel always and use words when necessary. That's a good saying, and we should do that. We should preach the gospel with our actions. Can we all agree? 
And we need to use our words because of this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So when we believe in our heart that we have been justified by grace through Christ alone, that Jesus sees us just as, as if we'd never sinned, then we openly declare with our mouth and we say, yes, Jesus, I am yours. We're going to see an open declaration of that as we close and celebrate Josh's baptism after we gather here in a moment. A beautiful outward expression of an inward reality of what God's doing in his life. And, and, and then... Um, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? So in order to call you, we must believe. And how can they believe if they have never heard about them? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. I don't know about you, but we need more beauty in this world. And that beauty is in this room. Take this. I know some men may be offended by me saying this, but you are beautiful in the eyes of Christ. And God wants to use you for beautiful things according to his promise. One final story, and then I'm going to ask all, if you're able to stand as we close in prayer. On Monday, we got to go to Uvalde with the Herreras to celebrate Ellie's life. You talk about a broken, tragic uh, distressful time. But let me give you the good news. That place is bathed in prayer. As soon as we entered into the city limits, something spiritual happened. You can sense the weight, but you can also sense that oh, evil was being overcome by good. Every place, Pizza Hut, Subway, all these chains had Pray for Uvalde. We stand with Uvalde. That community is strong. There were worship gatherings happening. There were prayer circles in the memorial outside of the school. There were flowers and crosses and pictures and good was overcoming evil. And that is what we are called to do here on earth as witnesses of Jesus, the hope of the world. Let's continue. Let's continue.